You're listening to Overcome the Overwhelm for Special Needs Moms with Lauren Lowry. Well, hello, 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 ladies. Welcome back to Overcome the Overwhelm. I am so glad to have you back. And if it is your first time joining in, because we get new people every week. So exciting. If it is your first time, welcome. I'm Lauren Lowry. I am your host. Yes, I am a fellow special needs mom. I am a life coach for special needs moms. I live and breathe for special needs moms. (laughs) That's actually going to kind of be related to what we talk about today too. So, but before I jump in there, I have to tell you guys, I am... Gosh, I feel like I have been living out of my suitcase the past few weeks. I just got back from a trip um, last week on Tuesday, I believe. And yeah, so now I'm about to leave again. We are heading to Philadelphia to the children's hospital up there to CHOP. Uh, We go there couple times a year at least and Leo is in a research trial and that is kind of where all of the leukodystrophy specialists are and the ones that deal in Accardi Goodyear syndrome which is his diagnosis they're all up at CHOP so we make the trek a couple times a year at least from Oklahoma to Philadelphia (laughs) and for those of you that are like you know not uh geography people um so I get that question a lot like oh is that close no Oklahoma is not close to Philadelphia. <laughs> I think that the drive would be like over 24 hours. Um, if we were to drive, we are not driving. Uh, we are flying. We always fly. Leo does great flying, so it works out well. I can't stand being in a car that long, so it works out well. <laughs> and honestly, with gas prices right now, guys, I'm pretty sure flying would be cheaper. Because, you know, we we live in Oklahoma. We run, you know, kind of a, a small like ranch operation. Um, so, you know, we have vehicles that like a pickup that can pull a trailer um you know we don't have small vehicles we don't have very good like gas mileage vehicles if that makes sense more out of necessity for you know the things we do around here not because you know we hate money (laughs) i just want to throw it all away in gas um no but yeah so that is what we're doing this week we're getting ready to leave and head up there and spend a few days up there and yeah so kind of got all the things I don't know I think we're like a well-oiled packing machine around here like I'm not even like I'm not even stressed I'm just like yeah like I just we just kind of go down our checklist and it's all there and it's like okay but the amazing thing about traveling to a place like CHOP uh, which is Children's Hospital of Philadelphia if you're not familiar um amazing thing about traveling to a place like CHOP is that if you forget anything like medical supplies wise they will get it for you they will figure it out. Like, you forget, like, uh, you know, like, I don't know, like a feeding bag or something, like, if you use a pump, they'll get you one. No big deal. Like, I, I mean, I haven't ran into that, but we've had, you know, I've heard of people doing that. Like, I'm just like, I'm not worried about it because I know that they will take care of us. <laughs> it was, all, it's always going to be figured out, right? Nothing's ever just going to be this, like, massive emergency or something really bad, you know, no. We'll get it figured out. We're in, like, a very safe place for that. So that's always a comforting thought. So, and today I kind of want to do a kind of a different style of podcast today. It's something that I'm not even sure what kind of put it on my heart to do. Um, but I think it's because I recently, this past weekend, I shared my story, um, at a gala, like a charity, uh, fundraiser thing for 
the foster care agency that we went through um, when we were fostering and before we adopted Kimber and everything. And so I spoke at this gala, um, I was one of the speakers there, and they asked me to share my story and kind of share, you know, just our journey um, through everything because we're not just a normal foster family. We're not normal in any way, right? Like, no, that's just not our MO, apparently. Um, so I think since writing that speech and, you know, giving that, and it was very, it's very raw, you know, I'm very open about sharing our journey and I'm very open about sharing our emotions. And I'm going to kind of go into why I want to talk today on this podcast about like where that came from. Cause it didn't always used to be that way. I actually used to not be a sharer at all. And in a, what feels like a previous life, um, before I ever had kids, I remember I had an employee at one time tell me that they felt like they did not, they had worked for me for like two years and I thought we were good friends. I thought like we had a great relationship and they told me that they did not feel like they knew me whatsoever. They're like, wow, you never talk about your personal life. And I was like, oh, I don't. <laughs> so that's what's so interesting is like how far I've come over the past six years and just this like transformation that I've had. Um, so I'm just going to kind of start about, you know, back like in 2016, that's when Leah was born. Um, you know, even just in that year, I felt so alone. I felt so like isolated. And I kind of almost feel like I was all of a sudden, I was just like this foreign alien living on earth. Like I had been like transported to like a different planet. That's how I felt around all my family, all my friends, all just the community, right? I just felt like an alien. And, you know, my child, my family, we didn't look like all the others around us. We didn't talk about the same things that other families talked about. We couldn't relate. They couldn't relate to us. Our lives were just completely different. And this isolation that I felt, it just kind of sort of built up, you know, as that first year went on. Because at first, you know, we weren't sure. We weren't sure if there's anything actually going on with Leo. Um, you know, it just started out with small things. They at first thought, oh, he has a brain bleed. They thought maybe he was a little bit, you know, I got my dates wrong. Maybe he was earlier than what I had thought. Um, they at one time thought maybe I had an infection whenever I was pregnant. Um, they thought all these things. So, you know, for those first four or five months, there was still that little glimmer of hope that, you know, with enough therapies or with enough early intervention that, you know, he would get back on track developmentally. But each month, you know, as we would go to the normal pediatrician visits and they hand you that wonderful piece of paper that states what developmental milestones your baby should be doing at that point. You know, they're like, oh, zero to three months, they do this, whatever. At, at four months, they should be lifting their head. I actually have no idea. I have no idea what the normal development of a baby is because I've never had a normally developing baby. <laughs> We got Kimber when she was three. I have no idea. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So, but like, you know, this is my first baby. And I, we were aware, but it was still that hope of like, oh, you know, maybe he's just a little behind. You know, we still had the people telling us like, oh, you know, every baby grows at their own rate and develops at their own rate. And so we had that hope still. They would hand us those papers. And with each month with the developmental milestone paper, I lost a little bit more of that hope with each paper. 
I'm sure a lot of you can probably relate to that and what that feels like. And then I think Leo was about six months old. He had his G-tube placed because he off and on, for about two months leading up to this, he just stopped eating. I'm not going to go into all the details here. I need to like reel it in because I could talk for like probably three hours about our story. You know, he kind of just stopped eating. So like finally, you know, we kept going to the ER and then he would eat, you know, you're in the ER for a long time and he would eat and they'd be like, okay, you're good. Go home. <laughs> Whatever. But finally one time, like he just, he would not eat. It had been like 24 hours. We could not get him to eat nothing. So they did a swallow study and they realized that he had been silently aspirating all this time. And just silent. There's no signs of it whatsoever. Um, but, you know, so we, they immediately were like, yep, you're getting, you know, NG tube. He did not do well with NG tube. So, like, immediately they're like, okay, tomorrow we're having G tube surgery. Like, I think it was like two days later. Um, and even with the G tube, we had that little glimmer of hope. He was about six months old. They were like, oh, he'll grow out of it. Just some feeding therapy. He'll be all good. Kids, kids have these removed all the time in a couple years. Because again, we had no idea what was going on. We didn't have answers. We didn't have a diagnosis. All we knew was that Leo was very small. He was failure to thrive. He, gosh, at six months old, guys, I think he weighed only six, 12 pounds. You know, he had very low tone. He wasn't even able to hold his head up. He wasn't moving a whole lot. He wasn't able to roll. He was still, you know, like when babies are just brand new and they just don't move a whole lot and they just can't, you know, they don't have a whole lot of muscle tone. That was like Leo. But he was incredibly irritable. He literally, he cried 24-7. And actually, this is something a lot of people don't know is that for almost two years, Bob and I actually took shifts at night. You know, usually Bob would take the first shift. He would, like, take him from, like, 9 to 3 or, like, 9 to 2 um, while I slept. And then we would switch. And he would go to bed. And, yeah, that went on for almost two years, guys. Like, it was awful. Like, I think, oh, gosh, it was such a bad part. Like, I'm like, why? Why? <laughs> how did we make it? I really don't know. We were both working, too, full time. Like, I don't know how we did it. But we just... As time went on, we just did not have any of that hope. We only had some clues to go off of what was really going on. And, you know, all these baby toys and the walker and the high chair and cause all those things that we got before Leo was born, whether it was at his baby shower or whatever, all of that just kind of started accumulating in a pile, like in the corner of his room. It's just a constant reminder that we were different. We weren't like all of the other young families around us. We weren't like our friends. We weren't like everybody that we grew up with. We weren't like the families we saw on Facebook that we knew. You know? And I have a feeling a lot of you can relate to this feeling. Actually, I know you can. Because this is something that comes up so often um, with my moms in Overcome the Overwhelm. You know, especially if their child is younger or newly diagnosed. It's just this like feeling that you are not, you don't belong. You're isolated. You know, but it was this sense of loneliness that really sparked everything for me. This is sort of where it all began. So in December um, of 2016, I got the call from the genetics department at OU Children's Hospital. And a few months prior, we had done, you know, the whole genome sequencing test, try to find out what was going on, and they had finally gotten the results. And went in, you know, they sat us down in a little tiny room with the table. And they said, your son has a Cardi Goodyear syndrome. 
went on to the details of that. Only 400 cases known worldwide at that time. And there's a small Facebook group for support. There you go. That was like the, that was it. Handed us some papers and said, good luck. <laughs> right? Like, so awful. And I don't even know how to describe it, but like, I clung to this Facebook page. I was like, this is it. Like, that's literally the only advice they had was get on the Facebook group. Right? And I don't know how to describe it, but like when I got onto this page and I started reading these posts and seeing other babies and other children that were so similar to Leo, it felt, the closest thing I can describe it to is that it felt like coming home. It felt like finding a long lost family. You know, we weren't alone. We found our people. And it was from this place and from this feeling that... I was like, I, I don't want, because a lot of people don't have a diagnosis, right? That was so easily could have been us. And I didn't want anyone to ever have that feeling of being alone, of being isolated and feel like they don't belong. Because they aren't alone. No matter what your diagnosis, yeah, we may not have the same. Our children may not have the same diagnosis. Your child probably doesn't, unless you're like one of the very few people that listens to this, probably doesn't have a Cardi Gutierrez syndrome. But we are, there's so many commonalities and you are not alone. And that is what I wanted. I was like, I don't want anyone to feel alone like I felt. So I started the This Little Life with Leo blog. And let me tell you, I was very inconsistent with it. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot going on in our lives. Like it, it was, yeah, I was, I was no place to start a blog. Um, but you know... It was so therapeutic and looking back, like the healing that happened that I didn't mean to happen whenever I started writing about our story, I think that played a huge part into who I am today. I think it played a huge part into the acceptance that I have and the positive viewpoint I have in life because I spent hours writing about our story and writing about our experience. And I'm not saying, oh, you know, if you want to heal, go start a blog. Probably not. That's probably not great advice. <laughs> but, you know, it, it does prove the points of how therapeutic journaling can be. Um, but, you know, I started it. And then it really turned less into writing actual blog posts and more just sharing bits and pieces of our lives on Instagram. And I really enjoyed that. I have a background in photography, actually. And so I loved the picture aspect of it and just getting to share these pictures and getting to share, you know, hopeful things and getting to share our struggles and the things that we were dealing with. And I found community. I found people who were like us. I didn't feel alone. And I never feel alone anymore. I really, like, I honestly, that feeling of isolation, that feeling like I was an alien, I would say, I don't, I don't know if I do ever feel that as a special needs parent anymore. If I do, it's very rarely rare and very fleeting because I've surrounded myself, you know, maybe online, but also in my, you know, in my physical life as well with people who get it. I have seeked them out and I've built up those relationships. And this whole time while I was doing this, this whole time that I had, you know, this Instagram page going and just making friends on there and building these relationships. I'm like, oh my gosh. And just like with people that all the way across the world, 
all this time, I had this little nagging voice in the back of my head saying, this is what you need to do. And I was like, what? What do I need to do? What? I need to be an Instagram star? Great. That's sure. Let me just go do that. <laughs> like, no, that's not. But I was like, there was something there that I knew. That, like, I knew I wanted to help special needs moms. I knew that that was like my calling, my passion. It was my why. And I never could figure out how I was going to help them. You know, I never could quite put my finger on what I was going to do there. You know, I thought maybe I'll write a book someday. Maybe I'll, I don't know, have a t-shirt line. But none of those things ever really sparked me. I was just like, meh, sure, whatever. You know, <laughs> very just like, that's great, like for other people. And I enjoy it when other people do those things. But that's not how I want to help. So I literally was in this place of how can I help for a couple of years? And I just remember, you know, I don't, everything's kind of blurry at this point. Because there's a lot of life going on. You know, we were, like I said, going to Philadelphia like four or five times a year there for a little while. And I somehow, I stumbled across life coaching. I stumbled across this idea that you can literally change how you feel, which was such like a crazy, I remember even thinking, I was, I got started on this podcast. My sister sent me this link to like this random podcast for doctors, you know, I think people have heard me talk about it a little bit. Um, it was for weight loss too. Just hilarious. Um, <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know. Like it was so random and I just, it wasn't about weight loss. It was about how your thoughts create your entire life and how you could actually change your thinking. And that just blew me away. It blew me away how much my thoughts were creating my suffering. Because guys, life was not great. I was, I was a lot, I was a lot of misery inside of me, you know? There was a lot of grief. There was a lot of jealousy. A lot of just like jealous of those people who didn't have to go through this. Resentment. There was a lot of guilt about not being a good enough mom. There was a lot of stress that I wanted to avoid. So again, back to the weight loss thing, I would just like just dive into food or anything to avoid those feelings. I didn't want to feel those things. I was spending money like crazy shopping, trying to just trying to make it go away. Right? And there I was and I was like, oh. And I realized from this podcast that I was avoiding my emotions. And that was part of the thing that was actually causing me harm. Yeah. But also, under those emotions were the thoughts that were causing them. That ruminating, that story I just kept living in. Just that, that misery. And I would just go over it. I would almost like, it's almost like a pot of stew. Like a big old pot of stew. Just like stirring it around for hours. Just mixing all that misery. That, why me? This isn't fair. Life is horrible. You know, this isn't whatever. Like all those things. Insert all the awful special needs mom's thoughts. Right? And I was just living in that place. Because that's where my thoughts were. I was living in scarcity. I was not living, I was living in a place that like, there was never going to be enough. There wasn't enough happiness. There wasn't enough money. There wasn't enough like time. None of it. Living in that scarcity. And I was miserable. But whenever I started to identify what was actually making me feel crappy wasn't my life. That was the game changer. That was when everything became different. 
So then, eventually, I think this was around the beginning of 2020, because it was kind of before the pandemic started, uh, before everything kind of just like blew up, you know, um, and then kind of in that part where everyone's in the quarantine, I actually got to, it, I got to experience coaching for myself. I was coached versus just listening to a podcast by a life coach explaining these concepts. I was actually coached and I was coached hard. I was coached hard on what was keeping me miserable. I was coached hard on how I was in survival mode and how I wasn't taking care of myself and how thinking that taking care of myself was, was selfish was actually harming my child. I was coached hard on that, guys. Because I thought that, you know, oh no, I need to give everything to everybody else. That's what a good mom does. But it was wrong. Because I wasn't showing up in the way that I needed. It wasn't effective. I was, gosh, I was stressed. I was angry. I had a lot of, you know, I just had a lot of that rage in me. I had a lot of that resistance in me. I was overwhelmed. I was checking out, just scrolling on my phone, just like, pfft, checked out of this world. Yeah. And I was avoiding all of those emotions that that just kept them stuck inside of me. I learned all of this through coaching. And it went from knowing that my thoughts were creating my emotions, which was driving all of my actions, creating all my results in life, right? It went from just kind of knowing that on like a basic level and like, wow, that's really, that's amazing to actually learning how to change those thoughts that are creating my emotions to thoughts that are actually serving me better. Getting rid of thoughts like things should be different. That doesn't serve me in any way. That just leaves you frustrated. That just leaves you just mad at the world because life should be different. No, that doesn't help. So changing thoughts like that, finding new thoughts, finding new beliefs and creating those new beliefs to where they weren't just like mantras. This is past mantras, guys. I don't believe in mantras, <laughs> mantras, whatever you want to call them. I'm from Oklahoma, mantras. <laughs> but this is past those. This is about actually rewiring your brain to believe things that serve you better and believing that taking care of myself was how to take the best care of my child, rewiring my brain to know that as my truth, changed everything. And as I was getting coached and I got coached hard and I had this huge transformation to who I was as a person, that's when I realized. That's when I literally was like, this is what I've been waiting for. This is the answer that I've been waiting for. And it's funny, I actually had a conversation um, with a really very, very dear friend of mine. She is actually a pastor of a church. Uh, her and her husband are like co-pastors. And I had a conversation. She knew this whole time. I was like, I know I need to do something with special needs moms. We talked about this for like three years. I was like, I know this is what I want to do, but I don't know what. And she's like, it'll come to you. It will come to you. Just, you have a purpose. Just keep looking out for it. And I remember telling her one day, I think we actually, I think we went to Panera. Um, this was, we probably shouldn't have, because I just realized it was probably during the pandemic, but you know, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. Maybe we're on the phone or something, but like, I just remember talking to her. I'm pretty sure we were face to face, actually. <laughs> don't judge me, guys. <laughs> but yeah, we were talking about it, and I was like, I was like, I, I figured it out, Darian. Like, I figured it out. 
I need to be a coach for special needs moms. I need to be the one. I need to help them get out of survival mode. I need them to experience this like I am because I don't want any mom to go through this longer than they have to. I don't want any mom to be stuck in this place, in that survival mode place like I was. And I don't want any mom to ever feel like they're alone, like they're isolated and like everything's just hopeless. Because no mom deserves to feel that way, right? Not at all. So that is what started everything. That's what sparked everything. I very quickly got certified after that. Like, I don't, this was probably one of the quickest decisions of my entire life. It was over just like, it was like a, just like a snap, just like flip of a switch. I was like, this is what I'm doing. I signed up, got certified, launched everything. I was like, this, everything makes sense. Everything is clear. This is what I was meant to do. And it has been amazing ever since, guys. I cannot even tell you how much love I have for my clients and how lucky I am. I truly feel like I'm blessed every single time I get off of a session, you know, and if I get out of a session with a client and I'm just like elated and I'm just so happy and I think about all the wins that they're making, I think about all the transformations that they're making between sessions and I'm just Guys, I'm the luckiest person in the world because I figured it out. I figured out what I was meant to do. I figured out how to help. And that is just, I just have to share with you guys that like, thank you. Thank you for being part of this. I now get to share my thoughts in this, you know, pieces of this through a podcast, just like I had that got me started, my transformation through a podcast. So I just... I want to close by saying, like, I'm so thankful for you guys. And I'm here for you. And you are not alone. Okay? We may not have the exact same story. Guess what? We don't have the exact same story. You do not have to become a life coach. (laughs) I still, like, looking back, I'm still like, huh, that's weird that I did that. (laughs) Like, I'm still shocked myself with that every day. That I'm a life coach. Like, who is a life coach? That's craziness. But my gosh, is it fun craziness. Guy, my gosh, is it amazing craziness. <laughs> so you are not alone, though. And I'm here for you. And I hope you guys just are able to take pieces of this, you know. I hope things from this podcast resonate with you. And you're able to take them and you're able to apply them to your life. And you're able to feel the difference. So, okay, guys. I could ramble on about this for hours once again. Got to cut myself short because this is already kind of a longer episode. So, (laughs) all right, guys, I'm going to go finish packing for Philadelphia. I will talk to you guys next week. Have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your week. And I will talk to you later. All right. Bye. Thanks for joining me on today's episode of Overcome the Overwhelm. If you have questions or like more information, head on over to LowryLifeCoaching.com. And I'll see you next week.